Hello and welcome to the podcast for the February issue of The Lancet Infectious Diseases. Richard Lane here with TLID's editor John McConnell to discuss some of the issue highlights. Welcome John. Let's start with a review looking at the relationship between infection and coronary artery disease. Can you want to just outline the point of this review? Yes, hello Richard. Well, this is a, a very interesting um, review which um, discussed the phenomenon of uh, acute infections, particularly respiratory infections, appearing to precipitate the onset of acute coronary events. So um, the mechanism which the authors are proposing here is that of the formation of a, of a lesion in the, uh, the coronary artery, which uh, respiratory infections, particularly things like influenza or um, pneumonia, um, the inflammation that results from that infection can in some way uh, trigger the rupture of the plaque which is formed in the coronary artery and can uh, perhaps trigger the formation of uh, clots on those plaques. That will then in turn lead to um, an, an acute coronary event. But presumably this is to do with the immune response that happens after an infection. Well, that's that's right, Richard. I mean, it's, it's essentially an in, in, inflammatory um, immune response uh, which comes to bear on the, the on the lesion in the uh, coronary artery already exists, and that lesion itself might be the result of predisposing factors such as um, smoking. And John, the authors do comment about future directions uh, in this interesting area. Do you want to just pick that up? Uh, I think an interesting aspect that they pick up on in is that if um, people are known to have a an existing predisposition to coronary artery disease, then if they have an acute infection, then they, perhaps they should take uh, aspirin over a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug because aspirin is known to have an anti-inflammatory effect. Uh, they also suggest that it would be a good idea to use, um, that statins may have a very beneficial effect because, again, statins have, a, have an anti-inflammatory effect. So there are future directions for research which we can look at in this area. Thanks, John. Another review is looking at meningitis B or specifically meningococcal type B within the context of vaccine development because Moritz saying, John, it's meningitis B where there is no vaccine. There have been vaccines, but they have been of limited success. So in the, um, the various um, types of disease caused by uh, Neisseria meningitis, I mean, the, this, this is an organism which is divided up into various serogroups. And there's about five serogroups which cause the, uh, the vast majority of human disease. And we appear to have pretty successful vaccines against the, um, uh, the so-called ACY and W135 um, serogroups of meningitis, uh, the meningococcus. But we don't have a really effective um, vaccine against the serogroup B. So what this review is looking at is the, the history of the attempts to develop such a vaccine um, and how, uh, how those vaccines have been deployed and, and the outcomes of the various um, programs and, and trials with these um, serogroup B vaccines. And do you want to just comment briefly on the history of vaccine development in this area and tell us a little bit about meningitis caused by meningococcal type B? Serogroup B um, meningococcal disease is, is fairly rare, fortunately, in um, Europe, uh, the Americas and Australia, Australasia. We're talking about between one case per 100,000 per year and about, um, up to about six cases per 100,000 per year. However, because there are vaccines against the other serogroups, then it, that does constitute the bulk of uh, cases of, of meningococcal disease. And there are occasionally outbreaks uh, in places such as New Zealand. So various um, vaccines have been developed. 
lives. The problem with these vaccines is that the level of immunity that they um, that they induce is not that great, and it seems to wane fairly rapidly. So we don't actually have a vaccine which can be used uh, on a on a on a routine basis. And John, staying with vaccines, uh, an interesting paper, a mathematical modelling paper, really, and this is looking at human papilloma virus vaccination, HPV vaccination, which is coming into the fore in public health and the possible trade-off of benefits between vaccination and screening. Do you want to just talk a bit about this? Well, we know that um, HPV, human papillomavirus, precipitates um, cervical cancer. So we now have um, vaccines um, against HPV which are given to um, uh, girls and young women. And um, those vaccines seem to be pretty immunogenic and they look as if they're going to uh, provide protection against HPV infection and the subsequent development of cervical cancer. However, the trade-off that might happen is that uh, women, because they have been vaccinated, might may decide that they actually don't need to be screened anymore. When in fact the truth is, it will take very, very many years, decades in fact, before the um, uh, before the vaccination will actually have an effect at the population level on the uh, the incidence of cervical cancer. So the uh, continuation of screening for the time being is actually very important. So what the authors of this personal view have done is they've devised a mathematical model to look at um, uh, adherence to cervical screening in the era of HPV vaccination and how low the level of screening will have to drop before the vaccine, the use of the vaccine actually becomes counterproductive. Um, and they are quite encouraging, actually. Um, so if you look at a, uh, a countries such as the United Kingdom, the USA, which have well-organized population level screening uh, and where vaccine coverage is going to be pretty high, um, that they are saying that the um, the level of screening is going to have to decline by almost 50% uh, before it's going to have an adverse effect. So I think that's pretty unlikely to happen in the near term. So th- this model is actually pretty encouraging uh, in terms of the, uh, the, the ongoing continued e- efficacy of our, our cervical uh, cancer screening programmes. Thanks, John. And let's conclude with a quick word about the Leading Edge, the editorial this month, which takes a look at HIV. But this time, unusually, I think, would it be fair to say, John, for TLID, from a human rights perspective? Well, there's been various um, human rights issues um, surrounding um, HIV in the past few months. In particular, we've had the uh, USA 